there's one very specific meme that I would like to open. Okay, so <laughs> I'm seeing uh, some former presidents. Uh, people with drinks in hand and they're laughing really hard and uh, it says the committee will read the papers <laughs> okay now we can start welcome to the road to open science podcast your guide on everything open at utrecht university and beyond my name is seko de knecht and i'm sandy fires Later in this episode, we will be speaking with Marike Adriaanse and Paul Bosley on the new vision on recognition and rewards of Utrecht University. But first, on to the news. So, suddenly, talking about news, I saw you in the newspaper. What was that all about? The Klimaat Help Desk? Oh yeah, that's uh, the other hobby horse I have, uh, which is no more a hobby horse. We, back in uh, November, after working about a year on it, we opened this website uh, which uh, gets the questions that people have about everything that is related to climate and then redirects it into the experts in the field and then the expert write an answer which we actually bring to the process of peer review so it is you know a journal in some sense with yeah. questions coming from the public Ah, een vraagbaak. Dat is beautiful. So I, I saw one question about will it ever snow in the Alps again? And it actually tickled my interest. And I think people should read that little article. It's fun. Yes, yes, that is true. And the questions we get are amazing, really amazing. But also the reception from the scientists. Uh, at the moment, 177 scientists in the Netherlands have uh, in one way or another cooperated with us. Oh. 88 of them have either written uh, an answer or have reviewed an answer and uh, they they all love it we, we get a very high response rate on on the scientists trying to answer and it is something uh, that yeah it really excites me that we already have built together the the team on climate and the topics go from humanities politics all the way to natural sciences and physics uh, or migration uh, it's everything it's it's really beautiful yeah well as with everything in our news and our episode we'll put this in the show notes because that's really worth a watch yes and uh, i was also some papers that uh, you highlighted on twitter what was it about yeah so this is one paper it's called advancing open access in the netherlands after 2020 from quantity to quality and it's written by a number of our colleagues here at Utrecht university so it's jeroen sondervan jeroen bosman bianca kamer and also a former colleague who now works at nwo hans de jong and uh, they basically sort of give an overview of what the landscape in open access publishing in the netherlands is right now but they also make this very i think elaborate and good case for broadening up the scope of open open access and saying open access is not just about the question whether you can access a paper in a journal it's much more than that it's also about open peer review it's about books about other products and they give a number of well very good advice uh, points of advice on how to move forward so if you're wondering what we uh, where we are right now uh, in an open access land and what the future will be like this paper very readable is certainly worth your time i think and I'm pretty sure, as I know from Jeroen and Bianca, that it has also a lot of references and very, very useful references. Oh, yes, yes. And it's still in preprint. So even if you have like comments on it, you, we can, they can still incorporate that in their, in their work. Oh, okay. So it is sort of a preprint. Talking of preprints, there have been some discussion on peer reviewing preprints or peer reviewing at all. What's yeah. the fuzz about? 
Yeah, so there's this uh, biomedical guy called Richard Smith, and he wrote a blog uh, called Peer Reviewers, Time for a Mass Rebellion, which, uh, of course, uh, I like rebellion, so that, that I, it tickles my fancy, and it made a little wave on Twitter as well. And basically what he says in this, uh, in this blog is, we're doing a lot of peer review, and scientists are doing more and more peer review, and that's because there's more and more uh, publications out, there's more and more journals, and... The weird thing is, it's one of those things that we all also know is not the most useful uh, sp uh, way to spend our time. There's actually papers out saying that peer review doesn't really improve the quality of, uh, of an average uh, uh, scientific publication. So he says, what the hell are we doing this for? We know we're not even getting paid to do this. This is just publishers getting paid because they publish journals. And he, uh, he's, he doesn't say don't peer review at all. But it basically states, peer review before publication is really not that useful. And doing it in the blind way that we do normally, and we, we, we say this is the Holy Grail, it's much better just to spend our time on reviewing each other's work out there in the open. And maybe if we can shift our focus to this, we will get better science in return and actually have a lot less work to do. But maybe you find you, you have a completely different opinion, Sunday. No, I agree with it. But how to get it in mass as the scale that the current peer review is going on that's always have been my question i a big fan of all these new schemes of peer review through peership or open peer review but to bring it to the masses uh, we ha really have to uh, do something much bigger than one initiative here or there but i think actually it's coming maybe in some examples but it is definitely on the rise uh, in the other news, I actually saw that even the uh, PhD students and the network of the PhD students in the Netherlands also have started to take open science very serious. Have you seen that? Yes, yes. So the, a couple of months ago, I think I put a little thread on Twitter about their uh, their monitor they did. They did a big uh, res uh, survey amongst PhD candidates of what they find important. Uh, Open Science had a special chapter in that as well. And I read their Beleidsplan, so their policy paper for this year. And they also put Open Science and Recognition and Rewards, which we'll be talking about later, uh, front and center. And I think the main takeaways from the Open Science part is that a lot of PhD candidates actually want to practice open science and publish their papers open access, but there's still this gap between wanting and actually doing it and being able to do it, which they will focus on. And the recognition and reward part, I think the most, most important takeaway is that a PhD is more than a thesis. And in a lot of cases, it still isn't. It's just your book with the research in it, which defines how good of a PhD candidate you actually were. And they promote having a much more inclusive and pluriform view on this and I, I'm very I'm looking forward on how they will enact this in their uh, upcoming year so we'll yeah. see uh, actually there I really love uh, talking of recognition and reverse the initiative from the young science in transition uh, the university medical center in Utrecht that they have sort of come together and wrote their own vision or their description of what the PhD means and what should be the quality of uh, a good PhD uh, program and how to assess uh, PhDs. Uh, it is a really beautiful initiative and I'm really yeah. happy that uh, this being taken up by, uh, by by management. I actually saw the link to it in the same piece uh, that uh, talked to two guests of us today, uh, Paul Bozeli and Marika Adrianze, about the New Vision paper. It was mentioned in that 
uh, interview that this is one of the initiatives that we're actually going to follow up on it. Yeah, so it's it's actually, I think it's called the PhD competence model. That's the, the way you can find it online, but we put it in the show notes as well. And uh, Annemijn Algo is one of the champions of this new uh, new way of uh, recognizing and rewarding PhDs. She was also one of the guests at the uh, Re- Recognition and Reward Festival last January. So yes. it's even going to that level, which is, I think, flying high. Yeah, and this festival was uh, held on the one-year uh, anniversary of the initial gathering and uh, Utrecht University have now come with this vision plan. You've been involved with, in writing that up, right? Yeah, so uh, from a supportive role, uh, I, I've tried to uh, help this vision go from the idea phase to actually writing it down in such a way that it's it's fun to read phase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that was uh, my main involvement in that plan. Uh, but I was. Uh, we're going to talk to actually two of my colleagues later on this episode and ask more about the recognition award vision to them. And there was a lot of national praise and I saw that the university newspaper DAP or DUB in Goeie Nederland uh, <laughs> has, uh, has an interview with them. So we are not going to repeat the same questions that uh, the interview has asked, but we are going to build up on top of that interview. There is a lot of nice uh, items mentioned from that interview a lot of metaphors, like, I don't know, a football team doesn't need 11 uh, goalkeepers uh, or, I don't know, one-trick pony. It's a lot of nice metaphors, so I really recommend reading it. And uh, We will use that as a basis for our interview with uh, Paul and uh, Marike. So talking about festivals, suddenly, did you end up going to the Open Science Festival? Yes, the most fun part of it was actually the workshop before the festival, for me, I'm sure for others, other parts have been fun as well. And I went to the uh, to the uh, Open Science Hardware Workshop organized by the team Open Science Hardware in Delft or Open Hardware in Delft. And here a shout out to this team. These are young, brilliant people. They have done a lot of nice things uh, and built their own uh, open hardware and then use that to teach in this workshop about the concept of open hardware. They actually send us a chip and we made it work during the workshop so i really had fun. seriously oh yeah, that's some that's some uh, next level internet conferencing going on yeah i i got it in the post and it was a lot of fun but talking of open hardware actually there is another piece of interesting news now happening uh, the perseverance uh, rover landed on mars did you watch it no i was watching a holland bakt <laughs> no, of course I looked. I watched it, man. <laughs> I had CNN live. I watched everything. Yeah, it, actually, it, with it, a seven-minute delay, but or eleven. <laughs> so, and this Land Rover or this station, there's actually a little helicopter that yeah. flies in Mars, and this is you know I cannot get my head around it because the atmosphere of Mars is just one percent the density of the atmosphere of air. If you want to see it, it is as if on air you make a ship float on air. This is how is it difficult really it is. Dead? Whoa. Yeah. And they have this helicopter thingy sent there. It's going to fly. But the operation software is actually open source. And you can find it on GitHub. Really? But but that doesn't mean we can hack the Perseverance, right? Or can we? <laughs> I don't think you have the connection. But that no. means that if you make your own helicopter, your principal mm-hmm. can actually install that hardware. Yeah, but if I listen to you closely, you don't want to build exactly that helicopter for Earth because it will just shoot out of our atmosphere, right? <laughs> or, oh no, it won't be able to fly. It's a very good c- control system. I guess many people are actually using it. And that's 
very interesting that NASA uses for such a mission being open as reference for being quality checked and yeah. oh. you know trustable. I, I read an interview with one of the engineers and one party says, you know, there was this commercial chip that we bought and it was like very Im- embarrassed that they use a commercial chip and not an open source chip. But they said, no, we tested it very rigorously and it was working. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, otherwise, open source is the standard. Yes, welcome to the brave new world. Marika and Paul are here to discuss a recently published Utrecht vision on recognition and rewards. It can be seen as the first in many steps to change the academic culture to become more open and less focused on the classical approach of only judging an individual's performance based on research output. Instead, the new vision provides guiding principles such as putting the collective front and centre, stimulating leadership in academia and recognising personal development in the fields of education, professional performance and research, and allowing for a broader range of career paths for all university employees. We are very happy to have two guests of today's show. On the road to open science with us is Paul Bozzelli and Marike Adrianze. Paul and Marike, why don't you just introduce yourself? Start with Paul. Yeah, thank you, Sunny. It's a pleasure being here uh, in the podcast, uh, talking about open science, in particular rewards and recognition. Uh, I'm a professor at the Utrecht University School of Governance, and my chair is in public administration and organization science. I'm very pleased to be one of the co-chairs of the rewards and recognition uh, sub-team of open science, together with uh, Marika Adrias. Yes, so I am the other co-chair of this working group of recognition and rewards. Um, so very much enjoy uh, doing this together with Paul, and um, I'm also an associate professor in the department of uh, psychology at Utrecht University. And, and can I ask, Marika, what what drew you into the recognition and reward uh, slipstream? Yes, I've been I've been thinking back about it because I anticipated this question, of course. Uh, how did I end up here? Um, and how did I end up on this uh, podcast? And I, um, <laughs> I think I would have to come go back a, a couple of years ago. So I've, for a long time, I've been, well, complaining about the academic system and about how certain things are going. So this was a topic I was already um, uh, always uh, concerned about and thinking about and discussing also in my, in my department. So it, it, it was a personal interest of mine. And at the same time, uh, as an associate professor, I was also feeling that I was a little bit stuck in my own development. So uh, I think it was these things which which came together, where I asked for a new challenge uh, to my dean, uh, while at the same time talking again about certain structural issues related to leadership and recognition and rewards. And he actually suggested to um, mention my name in the forming of this uh, working group, and that maybe, uh, as we say in Dutch, two vliegen in a club, two flies in one. Smack? I don't know. What would be the English translation? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. uh, and then I came in contact with uh, Paul and uh, uh, we've been a sort of dynamic duo uh, uh, <laughs> since then, trying to change everything in academia. In one go, your uh, faculty head just said that, oh, Marika, stop complaining and just go fix it. And then you went to Paul. Paul, how did you start actually with the Recognition and Reward program? I think it's a, it's a while ago when I was asked by Frank Miedema, who's chairing the Open Science Program. I'm myself a head of department of Lisboa, uh, uh, and my field of expertise is HRM, and we are uh, in the process of changing ourselves. This is how we got uh, connected to each other. So HRM 
is my field of expertise uh, in a way. And therefore, rewards and recognition feels like playing in your own backyard. Because uh, what I'm studying uh, as a, a scientist is actually what we try to apply in our own organization that makes it a sort of a double sorted, uh, how do you call it? A double edged sword. Yeah, so HRM being the uh, human resource management. Exactly, exactly. And in a year, you actually came up with a program that has uh, raised national praise. Uh, when it came out uh, two, three weeks ago, everybody uh, from the uh, NWO or the funding agencies, rectors said, oh, Utrecht is doing it. Uh, it's a huge success. How do you feel about it, Paul? Um, uh, doing, doing it, at least we have now our uh, vision and we have uh, something initiated, but the real tasks uh, begin right now. So this is just the start. So we don't uh, need to be uh, that excited uh, about it. And it's not a sort of uh, game who's first and who's best. This is a transformation that uh, requires a lot of involvement uh, by everybody. And uh, we, we, we have just started like uh, some other uh, universities. But in a way, we are kind of proud that we've managed to, uh, to come up with this uh, vision with the new model and to have uh, uh, involvement of the board and the deans. And, uh, and that's, that's something that uh, is very important. And so about this vision we're talking about, which sounds very elaborate and very elusive, maybe Marika, you could walk us quickly through this new recognition and rewards vision of the Utrecht University and how it relates to the national program exactly. Yes, yeah, so like you said, it sounds very uh, elaborate and um, uh, we know that there are all these kinds of policy documents uh, uh, which are generally quite long. And long-winded, we, we try to uh, develop something that's a little bit different. We initially aimed for a two-pager. Well, we didn't succeed in that. But um, what we did succeed in, I think, is to, um, to lay the groundwork for this uh, alternative approach to recognition and reward. So, um, of course, we, we highlight a little bit the background of uh, why we need to uh, uh, change the way we recognize and reward. But that's actually a very small section because uh, in Utrecht, uh, I think we are clear on that, that we need to to change these things and, and why we need to change. So what we also do is to um, um, highlight our, our ambition and to highlight a couple of the core principles of how we're going to recognize and reward in the future. So the, the principles are there in the document uh, and they are very strongly informed, of course, by the national program. And uh, you will see a lot of parallels with uh, um, the Room for Everyone's Talent uh, position paper, for example. But we also introduced the, the triple model as an uh, 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 alternative model to um, um, to the more well-known merit model, um, describing our academic work, uh, the domains of our work, and how they relate to each other. Yeah, first, you have to explain what is triple. So triple is the the acronym of the domains that we uh, distinguish in uh, in this model. So it's team, uh, research, impact, professional performance, leadership, and education. Uh, and these letters are in random order, except for the T, because that's very deliberately uh, put first, uh, uh, which stands for team spirit, because that's our, our default approach to working uh, in Utrecht University. And I can imagine that, Paul and Marike, you didn't write this document all by yourself. Can you also tell a bit, maybe Paul can start there, what was the procedure of preparing this document, which I think took about a year to complete? Yeah, that's a good question. Now, first of all, uh, we didn't intend to, to write a document at all because we kind of used to universities writing a lot of documents and then trying to implement them top down. 
And that's not really what we believed in as a way to put things forward and create a transformation. So the first step we made was to, to, to start thinking about the dialogue and how to stimulate a dialogue. So um, we were inspired by the Open Science Program at Utrecht University, where they developed a so-called Praatplaat, an infographic. And that's a one-page visualization of what it's really about. And then Marike and I said, we also want a Praatplaat for rewards and recognition because the dialogue in itself is the most important thing uh, to stimulate the debate and to create awareness and a movement within the organization. That caused, uh, we delivered that uh, in the summer of 2020. Uh, it took us a lot of time. It's, uh, it's only one visualization. I think it took us weeks to get there. Can you imagine? But the visualization helped us a lot in creating a dialogue. When we finished that and we entered the dialogues in all kinds of sessions, we, we the deans and the board said, this, this, is, this is really great. We're going to pursue this movement. But we need some kind of framework. So the next question was, can you come up with some kind of framework or a vision on rewards of recognition? And this is when we, we, we came up with the idea of writing a short piece, as Marika mentioned, uh, a, a one-pager. Uh, uh, now it is a six-pager, I think, without the end notes. And uh, also, again, to stimulate the dialogue. And in that process, we had a couple of phases. And maybe Marika can say a little bit more about that, because it's not a six-page vision that was written in one week. Yes, well, so like Paul said, we used the, the infographic uh, already highlights uh, the basic uh, elements of, uh, of the, the vision uh, document. We had lots of discussion on that, uh, about that in, um, in, in different departments, um, uh, with uh, faculty on different levels, but also through social media, we got lots of response, which also got us to think and to refine uh, certain issues. Um, then, of course, within our working group, which um, incorporates a lot of different uh, expertise uh, from uh, education, from research, um, uh, people with more background in open access, also from our HRM uh, department, um, we refined it. We've been talking about this and um, consulted uh, uh, different people about this and pre presented it to the, the boards. Uh, and to the deans and of course we got feedback and suggestions and incorporated this so you can imagine that this took some time but i think in the end some people actually complimented us that this was actually for something like this it was uh, relatively fast so and so beside the process of this uh, this entirety what to you marike is the the core element that defines this recognition and reward vision of the utrecht university what do you think is the most different from what we're doing right now the team aspect I think um, that the team is, is the point of departure. It, it sort of sounds self-evident, right? If you think about science, of course, is it is it teamwork? This is a team endeavor. We're doing this together. Uh, when, also, when we're teaching, how we're dividing tasks. But it requires a whole different way of thinking about our work. And I think uh, we also recognize this from our work sessions, for example, where we invited, well, basically everybody from the university to, uh, to join our work sessions and to talk about what they're proud of, also about their team accomplishments and how we recognize and reward contributions to the team. And we became aware that it's very difficult to recognize and reward uh, team contributions. How do we consider these things? How do we get recognition for that? And everybody appreciates that. It's... For many people, it was the thing that they're most proud of, um, but we don't have a very good idea of how we should recognize and reward this. And it, it 
I think this whole individualistic approach to how we do our work and, and how we divide the tasks and, and how we can get a promotion, it's very much uh, internalized. And that's something that we would, that we need to change. And it takes a lot of work. Actually, what I really like about the document is also that apart from the emphasis that you said you put on team science, it still also talks to the personal level of uh, people, how they perceive their role in uh, academia. And also a lot of things that we usually you know formally don't talk about it. And now comes to my next question, and this is specifically to Paul because I saw a lot of animals and also heavenly animals uh, in this uh, interview you had. In that document, I saw words which are not in the actually the vision document itself, and these are these animals. I don't know. This is management that really like animals. We have I don't know cash cow and fat fat cat and uh, top dog, and now we have the one trick pony and five leg sheep. Paul, can you tell us what does a one-trick pony mean? Yeah, the, 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 I've never thought about it like this, uh, suddenly. The, the animals animals and science, not animals in science, but animals and science, although there might be some animals in science as well. But that's a different uh, discussion. Uh, I think th these are examples that uh, hopefully bring us a little bit more to uh, the life world of academia in a world that is dominated and can be labeled as a system world. It's a bit Habermas-like, eh? so that, that organizations have these elements of a life world and a system world, but university often are rather bureaucratic, technocratic, system-oriented. So part of the, the rewards and recognition movement also try, uh, tries to build uh, in a different way of looking at our organization as uh, a life world. And, and this is where perhaps the animals come in, but I've never thought about, uh, about it like that. To get to your question, the, the one-trick pony. The one-trick pony was in the past often used, in particular by researchers who said, I'm, I'm, I'm excellent in uh, research on one very specific topic, and this is what I'm very good at, and you could look at my publications and my impact and the grants, etc. And, and some people were even proud about that. But that does not really fit contemporary work in academia and the ambitions that we have as a university that requires to be active in multiple domains and to work together. But on the other hand, if we try to avoid creating a herd of one-trick ponies, we also don't want to move towards a herd of sheep with five legs. I don't think it's really an English expression, but people in uh, other countries do understand this phenomenon. Although apparently in South Africa, there are definitely sheep with five legs. So they do exist. I don't know what their name is, but I'll find out. So the, the sheep with five, five leg image, and that's, that's, that's what frightens people, I think, is that, uh, that everybody is supposed to be excellent in all the domains, and that's definitely not possible. And it's also not the purpose of the uh, recognition and rewards. And this is where team spirit comes in and the room for diversification, the multiple profiles that you uh, actually divide the different tasks or domains within your team. But what is it in the context of academics? So, how, for example, can you give, a, give me an image of what would be, at this moment, apparently this is a thing in, in the university, a character which is actually doing this, having these five legs, or is expected to have the five legs? I think if, if you look at uh, some of the, the most senior people in academia, they're supposed to be uh, a five-legged sheep. They, they, they're supposed to be excellent academic leaders do uh, teaching, do excellent research, receive all the grants, do a lot of impact activities, et cetera, et cetera. In reality, it's, it's a mission impossible, even for 
the most senior people within the university. And we kind of know that, that science, whether it's education or research, is a team effort nowadays. So you divide your labor. And what is also from an individual employee point of view, it's also not, not only uh, a mission impossible, but it's all also not very good for your um, uh, career. So this is where the dynamic career paths uh, can play a role, that you change over time in the, the different roles you have, sort of uh, uh, communicating, uh, um, how do you call that? Uh, um, uh, bottles? Communicating vets. Communicating yeah. vets, thank you, Sikko. Um, that sometimes your emphasis is uh, more on, uh, for example, education and research. And at a certain point, uh, you might become a, a leader in education or leader in research to, in combination with other uh, domains. So you, it's a bit flexible, fluid. But as the university or a unit inside the university, we still need all these skills. I mean, they have had spent so much time to say that, oh, impact is very important part of academic work. You are emphasizing leadership. So a unit still needs all of it. And maybe individually you would still like to have the best people. So maybe you would like to have, you know, five one-trick ponies, but together complement each other at the unit level. Do I understand that correctly? No, uh, the, the, because the, the, if you have a team of one-trick ponies, then uh, you, uh, the chances of creating synergy, the, uh, the chances of creating connectivity, and uh, it is very low. So um, uh, uh, I, I try to translate all kind of Dutch expressions. It's always difficult. The, the, the whole is more than the sum of the individuals. So uh, one plus one is three. That's what we try to achieve. And the, uh, and the way we do it is to create uh, connectivity between individuals in a smart way. So if you, if you, have, if you have one trick ponies, then isolation is the biggest risk. And you don't have any exchange. And exchange is very important for achieving your ambitions. Now it's just a bit scared because if you look at the history of science, and there are many people who were absolutely genius in one aspect and very bad in other social aspects. So do they now have a position at the university? That's a very good question. I, and I, I do not want to suggest that there is absolutely no leeway for brilliant people, but that's, that's, we'll put it the other way. If you look at the big societal challenges that we are facing, what will be the chance that one individual will find a solution for that big societal challenge? I say it's null, it's nihil. The big societal challenges will be covered and will be uh, solved most, most likely by groups of people that cross borders, not only crossing borders of disciplines, but also crossing borders of universities, of uh, organizations and even international borders. And the COVID-19 crisis shows us that it, it's not an individual that is brilliant that will make the big leap forward. It will be the collectivity that's most likely to lead to better insights and also uh, create opportunities for solving these problems. So what we're basically saying here is that there is the context of a team in which you set certain goals and then you come up with your team on who is going to be part of specific parts of that broader overarching goals. And that can include some people doing three tasks and some people doing two, but not one person doing all five. The real question on, at the heart here for Marike is, is our university leadership that we have right now up for that challenge? Because it really asks a lot of university leaders. 
Yes, that is, of course, uh, uh, an important question. I think leadership is very important. We highlight it in the vision document and we need good leadership to help us through this transition. So are they up for it? I think you can answer that in two ways. In general, are people motivated to do this? Are they willing to make this change? Do they see that it's necessary? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, are there exceptions? Of course. So what are we going to do about that? I'm not going to solve it. Paul is not going to solve it by himself either. So this is something that we have to do together. And I think one of the important things to highlight in our approach is that this is not only a top-down, but also a bottom-up blended approach towards this transition. So there will be frontrunners and there will be laggards, but change is already happening top-down with this vision document, uh, with our director calling for action on all levels of all levels of leadership. And so there, the debate is going, people are talking, we need those discussions, but there are also bottom-up initiatives like um, what you see with the initiative from Young Science in Transition, who don't like the way they are uh, evaluated uh, and make changes themselves. So, Marike, one more question. How do you define leadership at different levels? Yes, that, that's an excellent question. And if you don't mind, I'm going to zoom out a little bit because this, this question, it, uh, it sort of triggers a more general tension between coming up with a whole new list of criteria, right? Also for research, now we have to, uh, but also for teaching, what is quality? What we are not going to do as the work group recognition and rewards is to come up with a completely new set of criteria and a new list. We had this one size fits all model. It didn't work. It's what got us into problems. So we can give some guiding principles, but there, there are different um, strategic choices that you can make between faculties, for example, and between departments. Uh, and there the discussion needs to take place. And we need to ask different questions in these discussions other than that we did before. And then we have to come up with certain criteria. But that is uh, dependent on the, the, the specific context, uh, the strategy, the aims of that, that team. And that can be a department or a faculty and that's where this discussion has to take place. So, so I'm not actually going to answer this. Uh, and this is actually the tension where we are right now. But would there be a quality control or compliance with this vision? Yes. So what you, what you want is that there will be uh, new criteria and that we will evaluate people according to this criteria. And we're very, very specific about that also in the vision document, that that's part of certain functions and that, we, that leadership, for example, is a big part of uh, your role as a professor. And that, you will, that means that you will also need to be evaluated and assessed uh, on these criteria. But exactly which questions we will ask and how we will do this, that's a discussion that we need to have. And how are we going to implement this and how are we going to make sure that people who do not um, meet uh, the standards that we have, how are, going we, how are we going to uh, help them to develop these leadership skills? Yes, and I, I, I agree there and I see a lot of movements from every uh, corner and that's really positive. But there is a lot of emphasis on culture change and I agree that the culture change is necessary but you know, you, can, you, you don't have a button in the people's mind to change the culture. Big organizations do that through structure change or structural nudges usually. And I'll give you one example because now we have about team spirit and this is the top. But we still, at the university, which is extremely hierarchical, we have the line management. So at the end, we have this term, which I don't think has, again, any translation, the Leidinggevende. This is a single person that every year has to sign uh, your appreciation uh, document of the year that you have done your job. And now suppose we have a team, right? We say we have a team at a unit and one person is 
very good at teaching, takes the teaching load of that unit, and the other person is at a, a research level doing it, and other person is doing all the outreach or impact. There, there is a good distribution of tasks, but by the by the structure of the university, one of these people should be called the Leidenhaven. And I have this in my unit. We have extremely good team. We have done this even before the vision for the past five years against the the uh, insisting of our colleagues that you know you should have personal labs or personal uh, areas. But then there's this one day that we have to talk, and then suddenly two colleagues, one person has to you know we make jokes about it. But that that is in the structure, and I don't see that structure being addressed in this vision document. Am I missing something? I have some uh, some progressive ideas about that. You're referring to the annual performance appraisal. And uh, from an HRM point of view, now I'm putting on a different hat. In 2016, I already in a Dutch newspaper announced that the annual performance appraisal should be removed as soon as possible. It's like bringing flowers on your wedding day, assuming that that will lead to a healthy marriage. And that's not a question. It's a statement. So if you want to have a good relationship within the organization with your peers, but also with your supervisor, it requires continuous relationship management and not flowers on your wedding day once a year. So uh, it means that you need some structural changes uh, in your approach. And Utrecht University does not want to skip the annual performance appraisal. I've had debates with the board of the university already about it, but they are not going to remove it yet, and I can understand them because they're kind of afraid that if we don't have the BNO gesprek, the annual performance appraisal, then some supervisors will do nothing anymore. So there's a risk involved. I can understand that. So it, yes, it requires a structural change in some aspects, but even more importantly, this is all about cultural change in terms of leadership and your attitude towards leadership. And if uh, other sectors and other organizations can do it, I don't see why uh, universities cannot be subject to such a thing. So one solution we had is that we have split it because in team science, you could also belong to different teams and different teams by definition have different perhaps leaders. So for example, what we do it is that this, our section has teaching and research and my official lighting haven to say, you know, I understand your research. I'm going to talk about it. But when it comes to teaching, I'm going to ask the education director. And then we put copy paste that paragraph but still, there is a lot of activities I do, which there is no place in that form for. Uh, so we just make jokes about those activities. Uh, <laughs> uh, now that you mentioned, because a very big part of being in this hierarchy is, of course, also bringing up changes to hire or promote the people with the right spirit or right attitude. But these existing committees are... The existing power structure of the uh, university. What's the reaction of those committees, Marika? Have you talked to them in this process? Do you know what they feel about it? Well, we, we've talked to many, many people on on different levels. We talked to uh, many uh, deans, for example. We've given presentations in different faculties, and overall, people are quite positively disposed towards uh, these ideas and this vision document, and they realize that something needs to change. Of course, there's also people who are more critical about it, but uh, I think in general, uh, they are quite positive. But are you going to test them on uh, this criteria, or are the same people who up till last year were using the old criteria are now suddenly going to judge people based on the new criteria, but you don't really change the committees? 
Yes, so of course that needs to change. That needs to change as well. But there's so many elements in this transition that that needs to change. So uh, we first need to have good discussions about this. So within each of the teams, uh, how are the tasks really divided? And and like you said, leadership does not always necessarily have to be embedded in one person. Actually, I think that's often not the case. Um, and then I think we are very clear that uh, in certain roles you need to be um, uh, like a full professor, but also associate professor. Leadership is a big part of your job, so that needs to be a part of uh, selection committees, but also uh, in your evaluation and your assessment. But I'm not going to make a checklist. That's not that's not my job to say. Okay, so when are you a good or, or a bad uh, at leadership? There are different ways to look at this, and you want to also help people uh, develop on these uh, aspects. But that's a discussion that needs to take place in the different faculties and the different departments. I think we're very clear that things need to change and that there's different criteria. But how exactly you're going to do this, that may also differ between the different faculties, for example, or but different departments. In a year from now, for example, this program is executed in two years. How, in your uh, work group, are you going to assess if this process have been successful or not. Even if you say that you don't write the process yourself, you have some expectations that something good comes out of it, how are you going to assess success? Yes, well, like you said, it's a, it's a cultural change. It's also a structural change. And I think this is not something that will happen uh, overnight, not in one year or two years. But of course, we do want to see progress and significant progress in two years. So that means that in uh, some of the... Uh, more official guidelines or, or policies like uh, hiring uh, committees uh, in how you can get a promotion and recommend the, the things that you have to do, the portfolio, for example, that you have to submit when you want a promotion, that that has changed. And there you see within the university different initiatives and different faculties uh, or um, departments approach that in a different way, but they're all trying to take these new principles into account. So that's where you would, that's something that you could assess. Uh, but it's also a, a lot is uh, in feeling that you're part of a safe climate, that you're part of a team, and that's team spirit. And that's much more difficult to measure. So I think that's a very valid point. Yeah. So maybe as a final question uh, to you, Paul, looking ahead, uh, in the vision document, it states that by the end of 2021, the beginning of 2022, all faculties and departments should have come up with their own contextualization of this rewards and recognition vision. Could you briefly walk us through the steps that we're going to be taking in the coming year and what people listening to this podcast could actually contribute in this process? Um, now, first of all, we uh, there are uh, posts uh, um, in the faculties that are faculty open science teams with uh, representatives of the four sub teams of open science at Utrecht University, including people from uh, who are responsible for uh, rewards and recognition. And the dean is supposed to be in the lead of uh, the implementation of this uh, new approach. And the FOST uh, fellows, uh, in particular the rewards and recognition fellows, are contributing to that. Uh, picking up the pieces, uh, collecting uh, ideas, contextualizing, and together with uh, leaders of the faculty, and I imagine that these are departmental uh, heads, uh, but also chairs of or professors who are in charge, they come up with uh, a further refinement, and we applaud uh, and welcome pilots and experiments to, uh, in different areas. For example, uh, looking at recruitment and selection, the vacancies, and then see where the uh, triple model is, is already applied, but also in, in, uh, in relationship to uh, promotion activities, uh, training and development, leadership development. And what we try to do as a, uh, a group of the rewards and recognition at Utrecht University is stay in contact, 
because people who are in our working group, the general working group of uh, rewards and recognition, are often also a FOST fellow on rewards and recognition. So, so we create connectivity. The other thing is we need to continuously uh, create all kind of dialogues with people involved from the shop floor. Because we, we don't need a, a television program undercover boss to find out what is happening on the shop floor. We should be walking around ourselves and get in touch with people and stimulate people uh, uh, at all levels to uh, start talking to their own supervisors, but also continuously uh, uh, be in touch with us and, and, and come up with, with ideas and challenges uh, so we can work on that. And we can share the, the good practices or the things that uh, have been applied. And there's a role for us as well. That really rings uh, true to me, uh, Paul. As a former PhD, we only discussed science during our lab meetings and never actually discussed the way we were doing science. So I think this document is short enough for you to read and take it up with your boss and your colleague and ask, what do you think about this? Well, Paul Enrique, thank you very much for being here digitally on this Friday afternoon. Paul, how can people best reach you on this topic? What is the channel that... Um, Twitter, uh, email. I, I, I'm addicted to uh, Twitter. Uh, so if you send uh, mails, and, and the chances are I'll uh, respond to it. And, uh, and, and see our website and send us your ideas. And if you want to uh, get involved, let us know. We'll find a way because this is a movement that is not supposed to be top down. This is, uh, involves everybody. And, uh, and uh, the future is yours. Together we, we can shape this uh, new form of rewards and recognition and change our university. What a kind invitation. And you, Marike, how can people reach you? Yeah, the same through Twitter, through email. And we are happy for everyone who wants to be involved. It's something that we do together. Wonderful. We'll include your handles and emails in the show notes. Thank you. And maybe we'll see you again sometime. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Did you come up with an insider joke? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm afraid that I'm sometimes the insider joke. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I'm, I'm sort of promoting open science uh, and uh, actually uh, uh, still using uh, the SPSS as one of the more closed uh, software. And I'm trying to learn R, and I've announced to my PhD students already three times that I'm trying to learn it. I'm doing a course again, <laughs> but it's very difficult. So I, I feel sometimes also like I'm trying to be the the sheep with five legs. So I'm learning myself as well. Uh, but it's like, uh, do you know that open science um, uh, promoter who still uses SPSS? I think that's the, the inside joke they might make about me. I understand it. I'm not from psychology. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you very much, Parike. It was a really Thank great you. show. Thank you. So with that, suddenly, I think that is it for today. Yes, it was really exciting. But what's in the basket for the next time, Sigo? Next time, our guest will be Rens van der Schoot, and we'll be talking with him about automatic systematic reviews. It's a top-of-the-bill research uh, initiative that is really, truly open science-minded, and it also helps a lot during the corona crisis. So join oh, us for next time. It's next very, month, very attractive. Yes, it is. We'll see you again at the Road to Open Science podcast next time. My name is Sikko. And my name is Sanli. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Road to Open Science podcast. The Road to Open Science is an initiative from the Utrecht Young Academy and supported by the Open Science Platform at Utrecht University. This episode was edited by me, Lieven Heremans. Please subscribe to the podcast feed to stay up to date.